What is up, everybody? Welcome to the All Sooners Podcast. Wednesday, August 2nd, right? Yesterday was August 1st, and it was Tuesday. Ryan, we're at episode 198. That is Ryan Chapman. He's over in War. I'm John Cooper. I do this part of the show in Tulsa, and of course, later on, Randall Sweet is going to step in. He's going to talk about OU recruiting, and boy, do we have some recruiting to get to. But first, media day. For us, Ryan, um, for media... For people who have dedicated their lives and their their livelihood to covering college football, covering specifically, in this case, this team, the Oklahoma football team, yesterday was kind of the start of the unofficial, I guess, start of the season. Big 12 Media Days is like the trip home from vacation. This is like the actual first official work day. Not that we didn't work in Arlington, but yesterday, Ryan, uh, 11 coaches and 19 players, good Lord, came to, uh, to the uh, stadium club, descended on the stadium club, and we got to talk to every one of them. It was a lot of fun. Yeah, it was uh, It was great, too, because something that no one really cares about, I guess, but in our world, it's one of those things of uh, there's a billion outlets, and we all work for our own outlets, but you're friends with you know the others. So it's like that first day of school. It is. When you come back and you see all the friends that maybe you don't hang out with, you don't know them all well enough to hang out with them outside of school, but everyone's back together. So you had that energy. Plus, like you mentioned, we got to talk to every coordinator, every assistant coach, uh, a ton of players, and you could kind of feel the energy, feel the excitement, especially like from Brent Venables at Big 12 Media Day, it's a different platform. It's a different atmosphere. You're in a huge stadium with everything's really spread out. And, and, and Brent Venables is kind of more reserved in, in that situation. And yesterday you could see there were a couple of times as he started answering the questions, you could tell, hey, camp's kicking off on Thursday. There's that kind of excitement in the air. And I think that for this Oklahoma staff and, and for the returning players, they know – Year one, it was setting a foundation. They didn't get any of the results they wanted on the field. And I think that they're all really eager to go out and almost embrace that we understand that last year wasn't good enough. And we're trying to show you that by making huge leaps forward, that last year wasn't in vain because we did a lot of really important foundation setting. And I and I, I think that's kind of a little bit of a chip on everyone's shoulder that, that you kind of saw yesterday. Yeah, and uh... – I agree. I agree completely. There was a little bit of a chip on on everyone's shoulder. They uh, they know that six and seven was not the standard. Um, talking to Miguel Chavis, talking to Jay Belay, you know, more a couple of more of the uh, the more outspoken coaches on the staff, uh, less reserved, maybe a good way of putting it. Um, those guys are they've got their sleeves rolled up, they've got their fists doubled up, they've got their jaw set, and they're ready to go in and say, "Let's practice." Thursday starts practice for the Sooners. Uh, after that, I think there's there's media availability on Friday, so we'll hear, hear from Brent Venables post-practice on Friday. That'll be Friday early afternoon. Uh, we'll have some stuff for you at allsooners.com, of course. And then Saturday's the meet the meet the Sooners Day, meet the fans day, however you want to say it. The Sooners get to meet the fans. Uh, and after that, it's kind of the, the whole, you know, two days of practice, and then they meet the fans, and then you've got a kind of a quiet weekend. And then I think next week begins the full eval, install, hard work, um, pads, full pads next week. So 
yeah, this team's got some things to prove, man. Um, let's start, Ryan, at the top with, uh, you know, talking to Brent Venables yesterday. He confirmed uh, due to a question, you know, kudos to James for asking the question because a lot of people, everybody in the room knew what was going on, but to have the head coach talk about it, it took somebody to ask the question. And uh, our man James did that. Uh, Julie Venables has uh, breast cancer, and Brent confirmed that yesterday. Uh, she had uh, d- the diagnosis was on June 16th. She had surgery last Friday. Um, Brent said just a couple of words from his uh, assessment. He said it's a knock you off your feet type of diagnosis. Said it took him back to 2005 uh, when he's he was talking to his mother about you know having stage four cancer. Um, he said there's no blueprint. He said their sanctuary is uh, faith and prayer. So that I, I thought that was uh, really revealing. He talked about the the, uh, the administration at the university. He talked about the support staff he's got there, or the support uh, group he's got there at OU. And uh, he called his wife a honey badger. He said she's fighting through this thing. She's tough. Um, she's a former nurse, so she knows what's up. But uh, all prayers and good feelings, good vibes to uh, to Mrs. Venables. Julie is uh, is in everybody's thoughts and prayers right now for sure. Yeah, and it's just one of those it takes you back to we, we do so much of football, 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 and Brent Venables is a head coach that is happy to get down in the weeds on yeah. all the football stuff. And uh, it was a very – it's obviously a tough moment. It's been a tough stretch of moments for the family. And, and as you said, I think everyone's in the same spot with everyone's thoughts are, are hoping for uh, the best case scenario, the best case news there. But it also just gave you a glimpse of what we've seen it in, in pockets, right? Where Brent Venables and, and they're very different. I don't mean to compare them, but when I talk about seeing just the emotion, seeing the Brent Venables that wears everything on his sleeve, yep. Uh, I remember back to the Nebraska week, him talking about some of the reaction to OU Nebraska, the big win in 2000. There had just been a couple of those moments, and it was another time where you could tell that Brent was choosing his words very carefully and, and that he was overcome, as anyone would be, with a, a lot of emotion in that moment. And I, I just think you see this is why Brent Venables, everywhere he goes, has a reputation of being genuine what you see is what you get with him. And I think it's why he's connected with so many coaches, players all throughout his career. And it's why when you hear people talk about that family atmosphere at Oklahoma, you can see it the way that he values his family and talks about his family, then talks about taking care of his coaches, his players, all that stuff. It, it doesn't often bleed through altogether, but that was a moment there. So, so hoping for the very, very best for, for Mrs. V and everything going on with the families. I can't imagine having to deal with that much less on the cusp of the no. calendar really firing back up for this football program. Yeah. He said the surgery was successful. He said they, they think they got everything. The doctors feel confident. They got everything that they went in there to get. Uh, and it hasn't had not reached her lymph nodes. So it's not like it's spreading to the rest of her system, but uh, so, so best possible outcome following that surgery. We got our fingers crossed. Uh, Ryan, let's talk about um, a question that, uh, or an answer to a question that you asked yesterday. An injury roundup. Brent Benables was not prepared in that setting to give us a full injury report. I think it slipped his mind. But your question was, everybody's healthy, right? And he's like, uh, no. Well, 
Well, it, it was something that, you know, coming out of spring, there just been a ton of stuff that we, we hadn't really gotten official updates on, um, reporting behind the scenes, things we've heard, all that stuff. But I, I just figured, frankly, hey, why don't we just set the table for what we should be asking about, what we shouldn't be too concerned about during uh, fall camp and kind of started with the tight end room. Caden Helms did not sound great from Brent Venables. He, he didn't really have a timeline, said he's working and fighting like heck to get back. But that would be, uh, it sounds like a one less option uh, for a little bit there in the tight end room. Jason Llewellyn, better news, sounds like he's back on track. Um, Jacob Sexton, who, who tore his ACL in that third play of the Cheez-It Bowl, he is ahead of schedule on his recovery, but it's an ACL. Jacob Sexton's really young, and, and frankly, they don't need him to play left tackle with Walter Rouse. And so he said, Brent Venables did that, mid to later September is the timetable and they're not going to rush Jacob Sexton though. He is healing up a, a lot faster than what, what it originally had looked like. So that's great news on the Sexton front, uh, Brennan Thompson, some tonsils. So he'll be maybe miss a practice or two, be back in it. Uh, JJ Hester wide receiver who had his 2022 campaign take with, with injuries did not sound like he was going to be a, really a factor either. Flip over to the defensive side of the ball. Robert Spears Jennings still recovering from that labrum surgery in the spring. Jacob Lacey, the very scary blood clot diagnosis where Brent Venable said testing-wise and everything, it's all been good, but we kind of have a little bit of experience dealing with that, unfortunately, dating back to kind of Jalen Redmond and what happened with him early in his career. We know they're going to be very cautious. So uh, I think there had been a lot of wondering of, hey, going out and get not just DJ Terry, but also Philip Paya in the post-spring. Did that mean that Lacey wasn't going to be a factor? So there was all of that. But I thought another thing, another notable thing, John, someone who was not mentioned in the injury report was Gentry Williams, who should be, was a full go all the way through summer for the workout portion and should be rearing and ready to go as they enter fall camp, coming off of his really scary close to winter workouts. Yeah, that's uh, that was my next topic was Gentry Williams. Um, man, what? Uh, <laughs> here's a guy who literally fell out of workouts, um, missed some time in the spring, came back during the spring. But the way you phrased it, we, we were talking before the show, hype train, the Gentry Williams hype train. Um, I think it was Ted Roof, and I know it was Brent Venables, who both said they were looking forward to the competition this two-a-days, this training camp. I don't think they have any two-a-days anymore. Um, the, uh, the the competition, this training camp at cornerback. Everybody talked about Woody Washington's got that one. Sure, the one side locked down. The other side's up for grabs. And Gentry Williams is at the front of the train, uh, along with Kendall Dolby, the JUCO guy. Maybe a couple of young corners in there. Maybe they're going to move one of those safeties who's so good at safety but can't get on the field at safety. Maybe they move one of those guys over there. We'll see how that goes, but uh, Gentry Williams right now leading the charge at that spot. Yeah, and I spent 20 minutes talking with Jay Valai in kind of a, a scrum setting there, and I wanted to stick with Jay Valai through – if you've never seen how this kind of works, everybody's out at tables all at once for a period of time, 30 minutes, 40 minutes, whatever, and so – a lot of people bounce in and out, which means that coaches answer some of the same questions over and over. There's a lot of forgive me if you've already answered this wasn't yeah. here. 
I wanted to stick with Javali long enough to hear the second round of Gentry questions just to kind of see he's a really energetic guy. So this energy that Javali was giving, is that because he was super energetic and it was the very start of his media session? Or is that because he is that excited about Gentry Williams and is able to rev it up two or three times, if that kind of makes sense? And Javali was really stoked about Gentry Williams every time he talked about him. Uh, he, he mentioned not just the weight that he's put on, almost 20 pounds since he arrived at Oklahoma for the strength aspect of it. He, he was talking about, and I asked him, could you sense Gentry having to stand by in the spring early on when he wasn't cleared, seeing those young guys go out there? We heard a ton about Josiah Wagner, all that. Did you kind of sense like he was, okay, I'm ready to go into the summer? And Jay Valai's like, Gentry Williams was ready to go day one of spring. We couldn't put him out there day one of spring, but he wants to go out. He wants to compete. And I think that Woody Washington, though his spot's not up for grabs, is going to be key to help bringing him along. I think our guy Randall's going to have a story on allsooners.com Friday morning about Woody Washington's leadership. But part of what Jay Valai talked about was how – when C.J. Colden started picking the ball off last year, that was almost like a, a, a reinforcement to the buy-in of you can be aggressive, you can be hyper-aggressive and get the results, everything that Jay Vlai is asking of him. That was infectious through the room. And now Jay Vlai is wanting Woody to, to be that kind of spark for Gentry, to, to be that guy. So Gentry sounds like in the meeting rooms, Jay Vlai talked about him being – incredibly prepared wanting to always be the first guy to answer all those questions prove that he's ready and it sounds like he's he's stoked to see gentry go out there and compete and i would be shocked barring anything bad knock on wood helmet chin strap is snapped for the first play of the game something like that if it's not woody and gentry as your first crack at corners no call yeah sounds like uh that's heading that direction the other cornerback spot is a spot where no one has any ex- real starting game experience or prolonged uh, college football experience. It's not that way at safety where they've got some guys who have played the position. It's just they're trying to find the two or three best guys for that. Uh, that was one of, the, uh, one of the other positions that Brent Venable said he was looking forward to seeing the competition. I think that question was from our man Randall. Uh, what other positions, what positions are you looking forward to to watching in competition this year? He proceeded to throw out like 21 different positions. But, uh, you know, all joking aside, safety was one of the first ones. And that's that's interesting to me, Ryan, because they've got so many names and so many accomplished players and a five-star coming in and, and stuff like that. Um, so that's a position that's going to be, I think and we did, uh, we did kind of a, um, what was it called? A camp predictions before before yesterday, going into yesterday, and I think you picked the safety position as the best or most compelling position where there's going to be competition this year. Yeah, and and I think it's because there are a bunch of spots on the field left guard. There's going to be competition, but from yeah. guys we haven't seen play at Oklahoma, wide receiver competition, bunch of guys we haven't really seen play at Oklahoma. The safety position is unique because you've got Billy Bowman, who's a two-year returning starter, one of those in Alex Grinch's nickel. Last year at safety, he had like a little bit of an injury, so it wasn't the whole year, but he was able to work back. Key Lawrence, who's played in this defense for two years, his best results have not come at safety, but they wanted to move him back to safety last year. You bring in Reggie Pearson, you bring in the 
excitement for a Peyton Bowen. And, and it feels like with as many, as much as Brent Venables talked about that three, three, five setup last year and being able to get an extra defensive back on the field, there's room for three safeties back there at points. There's room for Reggie Pierce or Peyton Bowen have both been talked about as guys that could work at cheetah throughout the spring. If that's something they want, I just feel like they really feel this coaching staff that that safety spot could be the strength or one of the strengths of this defense. And I'm interested to see how they work in, in the different ways they try to get those guys on the field. If, if that kind of reinforces that they really like pretty much all their options back there. Yeah. Another thing Brent said was uh, we might have a new front seven an all new front seven with the exception of Danny Stutzman. Stutzman's coming back, uh, led the you know third in the nation in tackles last year, led the big 12, all that stuff. We know that Stutzman's coming back. Could there be a possibility that the other seven, it's not really seven, it'll be six positions, uh, are new guys? That's something that, uh, including the linebacker. Um, Connor Neer is uh, the, the Division II transfer from Ferris State. He came yesterday. Very good interview. Very compelling talker. Uh, by the way, if you guys want to, uh, when this podcast is over, you're done listening, go to allsooners.com. Uh, or my YouTube channel and jump in there and start watching these player videos, uh, get to know some of these new guys, especially uh, the coaches are up there. I can't recommend enough. Uh, Philip Paya, he is my, my favorite new guy in terms of interviews on this team. But uh, yeah, uh, linebacker is going to be interesting. The, the, like, it's kind of like the cornerback spot. The one linebacker spot is held down by a returning starter, Danny Stutzman. The other one kind of up for grabs. Yeah, and at Big 12 Media Day, we heard Brent Venables talk two or three times about Connor Near. Yesterday, it was just kind of an acknowledgement from Ted Roof that he's coming in having to learn a new language on top of making that jump up from Ferris State to, to D1, not just D1, but the Big 12, not just the Big 12, but Oklahoma, right? So you, you've got that plus a lot of the, the Jaron Canick, who we didn't hear as much about at Big 12 Media Day, and suddenly you had the... Brent Venables talking about Jaron Canick and Danny Stutzman being Pete and repeat of like everywhere that Danny Stutzman goes, Jaron Canick goes, and he's trying to absorb film, all of the experience that Stutzman has at playing linebacker that Canick just doesn't have because he hadn't played linebacker before, before last year. So it, that's going to be a spot that's really interesting. You've also got a Kobe McKenzie in there who was on the red shirt plan last year. I'm fascinated to see what that rotation looks like and how, how those snaps get chopped up because we know more than anything, what Oklahoma doesn't want is two guys, whether it's Stutzman and Canick, Stutzman and Near, whatever, playing 95 to 100% of those snaps at linebacker again because that, that's something that Brent Middles talked about all throughout the spring at Big 12 Media Days and, and competitive depth is the, the buzzword of yesterday. Yeah, competitive depth got mentioned twenty times, twenty-five times maybe. Um, it's a it's a buzz phrase. It's a buzzword that uh, the coaching staff is uh, is uh, looking at, leaning on, and uh, searching for. Really, um, competitive depth. Listen, we've we've heard the phrase before, but there's no doubt these guys. The, the depth is better. Um, Jeff Lebby last week, for instance, at the uh, annual preseason coaches luncheon 
he made mention of the phrase, he said something along the lines of uh, the issues that we faced last year are nothing compared to the issues, or I'm sorry, the issues that we faced this year are nothing compared to the issues that we faced last year. Yesterday at press at the press conference for Media Day, I asked him to clarify those. And he, the, the way he painted the picture was it's, he was strictly talking about depth. He's not talking about uh, discipline or bad people or anything like strictly talking about depth. So um, I thought that was interesting as well. I'll tell you what we'll do, Ryan. We talked uh, extensively about the defense um, reaction to press to the press conferences yesterday and media day. We'll come back in the second segment and we'll talk about uh, the offense. We'll talk about reaction from the offensive coaches. Got some really good stuff coming up. Um, more from media day plus Randall and tons of recruiting in the segment three. We got a uh, party at the palace was quite the party apparently uh, because the commitments are coming in, rolling in right now. All that's next on the All Sooners podcast. Hey, are you a business owner looking to get your product out there to the masses? Let's say you run a hotel in Norman or a car dealership in Oklahoma City or a restaurant in Edmond. Or maybe you're a small online business who creates and sells OU merchandise and you just want Sooner Nation to come sample your wares. Well, then consider advertising in this space right here on the SI Sooners podcast. SI Sooners reaches thousands of readers, viewers, and listeners literally every day. And the SI Sooners podcast is the ideal place to find your next customer. To advertise, send an email to allsoonerssi at gmail.com or DM us on Twitter at all underscore Sooners. On Twitter, why don't you guys give us a follow at all underscore Sooners. I'm at John E. Hoover and Ryan is at Ryan underscore Ryan Chapman. You can always find Ross. Hey, congratulations to Ross, by the way. He's getting married this week. Ross is getting me. Our little Ross <laughs> is getting married this week. Send him a tweet and congratulate him at Ross Lovelace on Twitter. And then Randall is at Randall Sweet 5 He's not getting married this week, but watch out. Those young guys, they tend to get get married at a young age. I'm telling you. I was about to say, did you did you let those guys know that like I broke a mold of hiring because <laughs> Like the first week we had Josh, Josh was like, and I'm getting married on, yeah. on the honeymoon. Yeah. Uh, Ross has been engaged for a hot minute here. Like, did you let Randall know? Or maybe does Randall's girlfriend need to know? Like, hey, careful. The all suitors yeah. crew. Big Rand- things happen. All I got was like a Chelsea Champions League victory, which I'll actually <laughs> take over any of that. That sounds good to me. <laughs> you need a, a championship more than you need a wife. And don't forget Parker. Our, yes. our, you know, our original man, the guy who preceded you, he's getting married Saturday as well. So uh, congratulations to both of those guys. You're next, Scout the Dog. Scout the Dog will not be getting married anytime soon. Come on. And uh, I've been married for going on 32 years. My anniversary's coming up. So wish me happy anniversary. The website, of course, allsooners.com. Fan Nation affiliate. Mm-hmm. So, so right here. Part of the Sports Illustrated Network. Remember, All Sooners is free. No signups, no emails, no passwords, no credit cards. It's all free for you, all Sooners. Ryan, um, we talked defense in the first segment, uh, reaction from Media Day. Let's talk some offense. Uh, left guard, wide open. <laughs> left tackle, set. Center, set. Right guard, apparently, is set with the guy who played left guard last year. Right tackle, set. Left guard, wide open. 
and uh, I'm I'm interested to learn more about this position. Yeah, it's uh, shaping up to kind of be what anyone who was asking the question, Savion Bird, Troy Everett, who was Appalachian State transfer coming in. He's got experience along the interior of the offensive line, played a little center as well for the Mountaineers. Anyone who was asking those questions, I think those were all validated and backed up yesterday as Jeff Levy basically, like you mentioned, rolled out there and was like, yeah, Walter Rouse at left tackle, Tyler Guyton at right tackle, McKay Mattire, who is apparently taking a huge step up as a leader at right guard, Andrew Ram at center. There's one spot there. And so we know through the spring, Jeff Levy talked about Savion Bird. He's got to make those jumps technique-wise to pair with his physicality that I think everyone was really excited about, but also keeping his weight up. And so I, that was just going to be something of, for me, tracking how Bill Biedenboe feels about that because I feel like the coach's view, keeping your weight up and be at the playing weight you need to, is are you taking care of all those little things with Jerry Schmidt, with the nutrition staff? And you know Bill Biedenboe, what he demands of his offensive line. If you're not taking care of the little things, you're not going to win a starting job. And so right. um, it'll be interesting to see how Bill Biedenboe kind of um, – speaks about that throughout camp just because that that was a huge question for Savion Bird in the offseason and and I I'm just not sure that Bill Bean but I, I don't think he was like negative towards Savion Bird but I also don't think he came in and was just blown away like oh he did everything we need we, he he's exactly firing on all cylinders all of that as far as Savion's weight coming off the summer you know how uh like at going into bowl season you get the the 12 game notes package and you look at the uh the, the guys who were in the starting lineup like quarterback you're gonna have dylan gabriel starting 12 games and then a running back you're gonna have uh, javante barnes starting 12 games and then wide receiver drake stoops is gonna left le, uh left guard i'm sorry left tackle is gonna be rouse he's gonna be at the end of the season he will have started 12 games rain center 12 games right i'm, I'm going down these columns from left to right Left guard could be the position where we see Savion Bird get a couple of starts, Troy Everett get a couple of starts, Caleb Schaefer back in, then they're back up and they're flipping around and they're moving. Maybe one guy plays right side one game, depending on and injuries and stuff like that. I don't think this is going to be settled in, in training camp. I think Bird is the guy that they want long term. I think Troy Everett is a guy that they went out and got in terms of uh, increasing competition, competitive depth, right? Increasing the depth. And Caleb Schaefer probably fits in there somewhere in between. Um, Schaefer's played a little tackle, so he could kick out and play some tackle if they needed him to. I loved what Brent Venable said about Josh Bates. Called him a wild animal. <laughs> not a honey badger. He's not at that level. Not yet, but a wild animal. Uh, I thought that was fascinating. Um, well, not he's just a guy that's going to get some, give some snaps at some point in his career very soon. Not just calling him a wild animal, talking about the physicality and being like, hey, man, those are your teammates. Like, so yeah. <laughs> if, if there's been any, uh, if you ever hear or see of any camp kerfuffles, I have a lot of reason to believe that Josh Bates is that guy that's in the middle of it. Britt Middles also was like, I'd rather hold guys back than have to beg them for physicality. But, uh, I, I just love that that's a young guy that's like, I don't care. I will come in and I will fight you. <laughs> you know, uh, we got some good FaceTime yesterday with Brent, both uh, Bill Beatonbow as well. Uh, he was really good, as, as he always is, but just in terms of 
Bill, you've got four guys that uh, have a position locked down. Let's talk about the guard position. Um, he was very forthcoming with a lot of that guard talk. Now, I asked him specifically about the tackle position. They, they lost two offensive tackles uh, uh, that, that could have come back this year. They lost both guys to the NFL draft. One of them was a first-rounder. Okay, I asked him, are you more athletic at offensive tackle this year than you were last year? He said, that's a good question. Could be. Uh, then he went into talking about both Walter Rouse and Tyler Guyton. Let's be honest, Tyler Guyton is a freak. I don't know if you've seen his uh, preseason photo day montage that he did, but he's got like, uh, he's six foot seven, 300 and something pounds, 308, 310, whatever. And he's got a football and he's making a move like he's, I can't remember whose dunk it was, but he's going like between the legs with the football and his legs are up in the air. He looks like he's got a 40 inch vertical jump going. I'm, I'm assuming that that's an optical illusion. It's not 40 inches, but it looks like 40 inches. Tyler Guyton's a freak. And frankly, Walter Rouse, four year starter at Stanford. He's back from that shoulder injury. He is that dude. Those are two. Uh, if those two guys stay healthy, I think Oklahoma's going to be set at offensive tackle. Yeah. Just talking to some people behind the scenes. It really sounds like Tyler guy, if, if you sent Tyler Guyton to the NFL draft combine right now, yep. And didn't have any of the drills or anything. You just put him through all the physical stuff, the bench, 40, vertical, broad, all that stuff. That And that was all anyone went through, that Tyler Guyton would be gone in the first round because he is that gifted physically. And that's why I think you saw TCU when they knew he wasn't going to be their uh, starting right tackle a couple years ago. How different ways can we put this just physical monster on the field, use him as an H-back, stuff like that. Now the, the task for Bill Biedenboe is – Thankfully, he got a couple of starts under his belt last year due to Wanya Morris's situation to start the year and then Wanya Morris opting out. So it, it shouldn't be like the Guyton walks out and everything's all his head spinning, all that. Yeah. He's got that starting experience. So now he can really hone in that technique to be the offensive lineman, the offensive tackle that Beanbow needs him to be. Because Rouse on the other side. Uh, talking to him back in spring, it just felt like he's he acknowledged I picked up some bad habits while I was hurt, and I just need to unkink that hose a little bit and get back to playing with great technique. And he seems so intelligent and self-aware and self-critical that I think a guy like Bill Biedenboe and a guy like Walter Rouse are going to get along great. Uh, let's move over to wide receiver, Ryan. Um, we know, again, two of the names, Farouk and Stoops. Um the third name we don't know, but boy, it's based off Freeman it's, shot. it's yeah, yeah. Based off yesterday, it seems like the third guy we we should know. It's Gavin Freeman. Uh, yeah, we the Hulk Hogan. Who's the third man? Gavin Freeman memes. Send those in at <laughs> all underscore suitors. But no, uh, Brent Venables talked about he he had like an emphatic defense of a criticism that i don't think was being levied by the media so i don't know if that was fans elsewhere or whatever of he talked about the podium like when i came out and said that gavin freeman was our most consistent best guy throughout camp everyone's like oh that might not be good and he's like do not undersell gavin freeman he's it, basically he was like he's always open he's yeah. quicker than you think he takes care of everything and again limited limited reps last year just a handful of touches one of them, huge touchdown on a reverse. You want Twitch? There's your Twitch. 
Uh, one of them laying out against Kansas. You want tracking the ball, getting open, sure hands. There's all that. Now I think it's just going to be, again, we talk about this a lot. I feel like Gavin Freeman, not like, a, oh, my gosh, Gavin Freeman's leading the team in receiving, but Gavin yeah. Freeman is the nailed on third highest catcher yards, all that. I would not be stunned at all. That's kind of my expectation at this point. Yeah, I think the way to, if I remember correctly, Brent was talking about his comments, reaction to his comments from Big 12 Media Day was, well, if Gavin Freeman's our third best, our best receiver in that situation, then we must suck at receiver. He, that's the way he said it, and he said, "Trust me, we don't suck at receiver." Um, so he's he's looking forward to getting Gavin Freeman in some some situations. I tend to think that the third receiver on a team that has a prolific quarterback, a play caller, they run up tempo, needs to have about fifty catches to be operating peak efficiency. You know, blowing people out that they should blow out, competing with the people that are really good. You need to have a, a third receiver that's got about 50 catches. Can Gavin do that? Maybe. You know, uh, not if he's running gadgets and reverses and jet sweeps and trick passes and stuff like that. They need to involve him as a receiver and say, okay, you can do the gadget stuff. You can have some trick plays, but we need you to catch 45, 50 balls this year. Is that asking too much? I don't think so. I'm just pulling it up right now as far as what Oklahoma had last year. It's like 39. Yeah, the the spread was pretty varied last year as far as the receiving goes. Marvin Mims, your your top pass catcher, and and he had 54 receptions. Then you had Willis at 39, Farouk at 37, Stoops at 39, Eric Gray at 33, Theo Weiss at 19. I kind of think that – the most likely outcome is probably something that looks a lot similar this year, because I don't know if Farouk's a guy that's going to be like a 70 catch guy or, or something like that, as far as taking that huge step up. So if you've got like a basically three guys at 40 and one at 60, then Farouk Freeman stoops and you're looking for, it was an Andrew Anthony or something like that. I, I yeah. just think for Oklahoma, the step forward in the passing game this year would be that of your four highest catch guys, you're not also having to factor in the running back and the tight end. Like you need to see more of those receivers putting those numbers up there. And then when you look at the, okay, this guy had 15 catches, maybe that's where a Gavin Sawchuck comes in. Hey, 25 catches. That's Mm. where Austin Stogner lives. I think that would be a great sign for the development track that Emmett Jones is kind of known for. I think that if you you kind of don't have that, then you're going to have to have Austin Sogner catch 35 balls. And you're going to have to have Sawchuck and Barnes combine for probably 40 touches out of the backfield. And I, I just don't think that's what you want when they talk about score from far, dime time, yeah. pass, all that. That's what Jeff Levy wants to be. And you saw that wasn't really what they were last year. And I think that catch distribution showed it. Yeah. I think, uh, I think you're, Everything again, all things being equal, everything being top efficiency. I think your top guy needs to have about 80, your second guy needs to have about 60, and then your third guy needs to have about 40 or 50 uh, to be able to to move the chains consistently, to blow people out, to have a lot of offensive plays. That's that's where I'm going with that. I, I know my my standards for some of this are 
based on the the Wild West show I saw from Kevin Wilson and Sam Bradford in 2008, where he threw, uh, the, and they had some big time receivers on that uh, on that team as well. Uh, one question that I asked Jeff Lebby yesterday was we got to see at the start of the open practices back in the spring, we got to see a lot of throws to the running back. Is that product of just when practice starts and we happen to be standing there? Or is that product of, hey, guys, our receivers aren't that good this year. Let's throw to the running backs. And he said, oh, it's strictly you guys being there at the start of practice because that's what we always start with. So um, I was reading something into something that I thought I saw apparently. So I totally believe him, but I do think the running backs are going to be a lot more involved in the passing game this year, whether it's Marcus major. Um, he was one of those guys that was at the front of the line when they were doing those receiver running back to receiver drills. Marcus major was catching a lot of passes. Uh, the two, the, you know, get the two, Gavin and, and Javante were catching a lot of passes. And then the two, two run, uh, freshmen were catching a lot of passes as well, as well as um, uh, Chapman McCown, Somebody like that walking on, coming off the bench. He's a third down, kind of get lost in the shuffle, kind of kind of offensive threat. Look out for him as well. He could have a little bit of a Gavin Freeman impact on this offense as well, I think. Um, but we'll see. You mentioned Emmett Jones. Lots of love yesterday for Emmett Jones. Most of the conversation was about his impact as a recruiter, and he is reeling him in on the recruiting trail, Ryan. But just as a, it was interesting. You talked to several offensive coaches about Emmett Jones. What is it about Emmett Jones? Oh, he's got a lockdown on Dallas. <laughs> he's North Texas is his his territory. Um, he helps with guys uh, from other positions who uh, are from North Texas, from Dallas specifically, and a lot not and beyond. Not just North Texas, not just DFW, but the state of Texas. He is a, an extremely valuable asset in the recruiting game. Um, according to the other members of the staff. Yeah. I would not be really stoked if I were an opposing school and I saw Emmett Jones and Jay Valai walk in together, yeah. not just because of their energy and just the, the kind of passion and, and the personalities that they are, but for all of like that is one heck of a recruiting hub to have those two guys pounding the state of Texas. And we know everyone on this staff is going to recruit Texas. Like, you know that. It's Oklahoma. You've got to recruit Texas. But those guys specifically take it to another level. And I think that's why you've seen that Emmett Jones aggressively knows he needs to to bring some an influx of talent into this wide receiver room. That's why he's got five guys verbally committed. And and kind of talking to him about his development philosophy and things, because I, I posed a question of, hey, it feels like you've got a couple of different groups of wide receivers, your Anthony's, your Petaways, your Thompson's. Those guys feel like your burners. Yep. Uh, LV Bunkley, Shelton, Farouk, Stoops, Freeman in a different way, kind of your possession guys. You've got a couple of bigger bodies, Gibson, uh, Nick Anderson, that they can kind of give that. Do you, do you want to grab like one of each and that be your lineup? What are you looking for? And he's like, yeah, you want to be able to throw different body types, but he's like, I'm not doing my job correctly. If I do not take everyone's weakness and try to accentuate your strength, but also erase those weaknesses and make everyone a, a complete receiver. And I think that's good news. When you look at the, all the different body types in this wide receiver room, that's good news. When you look at all the different body types in the 2024 class committed, 
Uh, it's just going to be I, – I, that's the thing I'm most looking forward to seeing is finally we've talked about so many question marks around wide receiver all year long. What is it finally going to look like when those guys get a chance to make plays on Saturdays? Yeah. Good point. Now, listen, um, Emmett Jones yesterday was asked – about uh, about Gavin Freeman. We've talked about Emmett Jones. We've talked about Gavin Freeman. Now let's talk about Emmett Jones and Gavin Freeman. He said uh, he said he got a text when he got to Texas Tech. He was the receivers coach at Texas Tech. He got a text saying, we don't need to recruit Gavin Freeman anymore. From presuming, right, presumably, the new Texas Tech coach, right? Joey McGuire and that staff apparently um, – I'm connecting dots here. Apparently didn't want to necessarily recruit Gavin Freeman as a scholarship receiver anymore. Emmett Jones goes to Oklahoma. Gavin Freeman commits to Oklahoma, walks on at Oklahoma. Gavin Freeman yesterday to that report said, it's not hard to tell when you're not wanted. Stuff like this can really hurt a player and his confidence, especially when it's your only power five offer. But it didn't affect me because I knew the player that I was. And people wonder why I took a walk on over a full ride scholarship. Uh, to which Gavin Freeman himself replied to his own tweet and said, it had nothing to do with Coach Jones. It's all on the head coach. He makes those decisions. Got a little sparks going between Texas Tech and Oklahoma in their final year in the Big 12 together, and they don't even play. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, and if you remember, that was Matt Wells, his staff. When Matt Wells was still at Tech, they wanted Gavin Freeman. And then after that coaching change, that's when that happened. And so that's something that Emmett Jones, he had talked about that – when he got the job at Oklahoma and Gavin was in that room, he immediately went to reach out and be like, Hey man, this is the situation. We're still and, good, he, right? and he was stoked to have him in his room. Cause that was a guy that he had wanted to keep on anyway. And so Emmett Jones too talked. He's like, Gavin Freeman, we could do whatever we want with Gavin Freeman. We can use him out of the backfield. We can use him over the middle. We can tell him just go get open. Uh, I think where you're really going to see some Gavin Freeman, be a difference maker is we saw a little bit against Texas tech, a lot against Florida state, Dylan Gabriel, very comfortable to use his legs behind the line of scrimmage, move the pocket, try to extend plays. And I don't think Oklahoma's wide receivers as a whole did a great job of ever working back to Dylan Gabriel in those situations to try and continue to get open when things broke down. Feels like Gavin Freeman from everything, learning from Drake stoops, all that stuff. He will know, hey, I need to make something happen, a little bit of off-schedule football that doesn't often kind of get in there. I feel like that could be something where he can use that fast twitch, change of direction, burst of speed to say, I need to work back to Dylan Gabriel, and I think that's where he'll he'll end up being a, a really big piece of this offense. Yeah, I thought it was interesting the way Venables, and you mentioned it earlier, but Venables referenced a couple of times, I think. He's always open in practice. He's always wide open in practice. That says something. Says something. So, watch out for him. He's going to be fun. Uh, if they if they don't develop a third wide receiver, they're going to have to throw the ball to the tight end. I got some good questions off to Joe John Finley yesterday about the use of his tight ends and how the position is developing and things like that. But one of the questions that I wanted to highlight on here, we can't get to everybody and every question and every coach because it would be a five hour podcast and nobody wants to listen to a five hour podcast. But I'll just throw this out. I asked him about. Braden Willis's development enticing other tight ends in the recruiting game. Let's see. Braden Willis, seventh round pick, number 247 overall. 
pretty soon Joe John Finley's able to lock down a guy like Devon Mitchell, five-star tight end, reclassifying. He's the future of the position at OU, Devon Mitchell is. Joe John Finley said, yeah, I, I can show them, I can show recruits how he was developed, how he became, how he went from this to an NFL guy, uh, you know, being coached by me and, and the staff. I thought that was interesting uh, because there's a very big, very good possibility at the tight end position. You look at some of the guys they are recruiting, some of the guys that they have recruited and that have currently on the roster, tight end position could be very vital. And I think, was it Brent that said that? It's going to be a vital position, or maybe it was Joe John. I'm getting my well, wires crossed here. Uh, it's going to be an extremely important position for this offense moving forward. Yeah, Brent talked about you don't want to have tight ends that can't do anything for He's like, we've got this basically spot on the roster. You want those guys to be difference makers. He had talked about that. Jeff Levy, I had asked him just like, hey, ideal world, what's that rotation look like for you? Is it, it, you're happy with the depth, all that stuff? He said six to seven receivers and two to three tight ends. So yeah. to get to two to three tight ends on this roster, you're talking about Austin Stogner, which with Stogner, you're just hoping he stays healthy. Um, talking about Blake Smith, a guy that's had two career catches uh, during the regular season and one great club catch in a spring game. So that's development that has to happen there. And then behind that, we talked about Caden Helms off the top, getting Jason well and acclimated, be a later season probably addition, or you're having to get down the ranks of guys that haven't played tight end before as far as that room. So it's important on the recruiting trail, but it's also going to be important because those recruits could come in and take immediate jobs just due to some unfortunate luck with injuries that kind of robbed Joe John of the opportunity to, to develop Caden Helms and, and Jason Noel and all throughout the spring. We'll finish uh, this segment with this, Ryan. Uh, your favorite guy to talk to yesterday. We, we got to talk to um, five transfers, five summer transfers, okay, guys who came in after spring football who we haven't talked to before. So we got those videos at allsooners.com, also on my YouTube channel. Um, and we got to talk to, I think, seven or eight true freshmen coming in. One of the true freshmen who didn't come in was Dave McCulloch, Desan's little brother, right? So uh, don't know what's going on there. It would have been nice to get some perspective on playing in the same camp as his big brother, that kind of thing. But uh, so many newcomers, Ryan, um, and I'll just say this. My favorite guy to talk to, my new favorite guy is Philip Paya, defensive tackle from Utah State transferred from Michigan. This is his seventh year of college football. My guy is 24 years old. He's got a degree from Michigan, and he's when he leaves OU, he'll have two postgraduate degrees, including a master's. <laughs> and he said, if that's, the, that's the, the least I get out of this, that's a pretty solid deal. So seven years of college football, I love it. And you talk about somebody who's relaxed, uh, expressive, funny, engaging, uh, watch that interview with Philip Pye and you will come away with, uh, with much the same feeling. My new favorite guy. Yeah. I would have loved to talk to DJ Terry just because uh, for whatever reason, I gravitate to offensive and defensive linemen for Fred. I don't know why that happens, but maybe it's because I'm just five, nine and uh, <laughs> 10 pounds like uh, dripping wet. I unfortunately was not able to, to chop it up with all the new players coming in. Cause the radio schedule stuff when that came in and out, but uh 
Yeah, I'm I'm a JVLI guy. Although Todd Bates did deliver the quote of the day when <laughs> talking about the uh, 300 pound plus guys that they have. Uh, ain't no better solution on this earth than girth. Is Todd Bates talking about <laughs> improved defensive line play? Uh, I would listen to Todd Bates and JVLI talk about literally anything. Yeah, Bates also said something along the lines of. One enemy in your tent is more dangerous than a thousand enemies outside your tent. We also, first off, incredible that uh, he he would love like the Battle of the Bulge documentaries of, of all the like uh, the the Germans having the American speaking Germans undercover, all the English speaking but American accent. Anyway, that's we're getting into Brady Trantham territory. I'll save everyone there. Uh, Bill also revealed that he didn't know what Netflix was until COVID, and now he like can't stop. <laughs> He's like, you you guys know me. He's like, I watch film, I coach football, I go home, I don't do a whole lot. And he's like, now you can't get me off Netflix when I get home. <laughs> it's good that he cut the cord, right? Yeah. Well, he said he loves like Law & Order, SVU, all that stuff. I was like, well, the Criminal Minds, and I think yeah. Jason, well, you'll never run out of those shows, and you just hammer them all on Netflix. He's like, exactly. That's good stuff. Um, I did see, they did put both Philip Paya and Dejon Terry next to each other in the stadium club, the stadium tipped a little bit because they're both significantly over 300 pounds. Uh, the five 300 pounders that they have on the, def- in the, on the interior defensive line. Now um, they can win. Now they can win later with those kind of guys. Those are the guys that are going to, and they need some, frankly, we'll talk with Randall about this coming up, but they need some new guys as well. They need some young guys, some recruits, Ryan, as always, thanks for jumping on. We appreciate it. Of course, and uh, you, all you out there, good luck with all the marriages and relationships and everything that, that you guys are dealing with. Uh, I'm happy I have a much simpler existence. Coming up next on the show, Randall's going to join us. We're going to talk some OU recruiting. Lots to get to. That's all next on the All Sooners podcast. Hey, are you a business owner looking to get your product out there to the masses? Let's say you run a hotel in Norman or a car dealership in Oklahoma City or a restaurant in Edmond. Or maybe you're a small online business who creates and sells OU merchandise and you just want Sooner Nation to come sample your wares. Well, then consider advertising in this space right here on the SI Sooners podcast. SI Sooners reaches thousands of readers, viewers, and listeners literally every day. And the SI Sooners podcast is the ideal place to find your next customer. To advertise, send an email to allsoonerssi at gmail.com or DM us on Twitter at all underscore Sooners. All right, final segment of the All Sooners podcast. And if you like the podcast, give us a rating. Five stars is always best. We like five stars just like the college football coaches do. Um, share us on social media. Watch us on YouTube. Share, rate, subscribe, like, leave us a comment, all that good stuff. Since our last podcast, holy cow, has the OU recruiting staff been busy? I call them recruiting staff because it, there's not even any football going on. They're, they're not coaching currently. They're recruiting. Randall's joined us to talk about it. He's been all over it. Uh, OU has Since our last podcast, OU has received five verbal commitments. I guess six, because today they got another one. Uh, Kamori Moore, defensive lineman. Elijah Thomas, wide receiver. Michael Patterson-McDonald, quarterback. And then yesterday, Brendan Zerbrug. Uh, Michael Patterson-McDonald is a cornerback. What am I saying? And then quarterback yesterday, Brendan Zerbrug. 
Uh, so five, I overestimated. Uh, Bergen Kaiser was a walk-on today. We're going to tell you about every one of them. Let's start there, though. Whenever you get quarterback news, Randall, you got to start with your quarterback news. Uh, Zerbrug was a guy, I think a three-star recruit who was committed previously to Syracuse and then flipped to Northwestern, but now he's a senior. Yeah, and uh, I think that you know, we've kind of mentioned it before, but he really brings something different to the table than Michael Hawkins does. Um, you know, I, I think we can see this more of a, you know, not replacing Michael Hawkins, but just bringing in additional competition for not Hawkins, not only Hawkins, but everybody in the quarterback room. You know, if Dylan Gabriel leaves after this year, then, you know, you, you would be scheduled to have only Jackson Arnold and Michael Hawkins on campus uh, the following year, which, you know, could put you in a similar situation to where, you know, the Sooners were when they played Texas last year. And obviously, Brent Venables, no one associated with Oklahoma wants that to ever happen again. Uh, and so, you know, you get another guy in here who has a different skill set. He can kind of switch up the pace if if you do have to call on him. And, you know, he just brings more depth, more competition to that room. Um, you know, Hawkins, we've talked about, he's kind of got a, a he's got a good arm. He's really good at a lot of the quarterback stuff. Um, not that Zerbrug's not, but Zerbrug is a great athlete. He's a really good runner. He's a star track athlete. Um, he's a hurdler, so it's not like he's just running straight line speed. He's got some some athleticism in there with that. And if you watch his film, you can really see that. It's not just him taking a read option, going untouched up the sideline. He's, you know, cutting through defenders, breaking tackles, things like that. So, uh, you know, he's a guy who's willing to, uh, you know, he's not going to, at least in high school, he's not going to slide. He's, uh, he's trying to get those yards, even though, you know, he's not heavy, but He's very mobile, very mobile. Um, really a lot of quick, short routes uh, are what I saw on his highlights. So it'll be interesting to see when he gets to campus, uh, you know, what that arm looks like when they let him kind of uncork it and uh, chuck it downfield. Uh, like yeah, and you, sorry, I was just going to say. Randall, we talked yesterday about, uh, about his um, athletic ability. When you play football in the state of Ohio, you're, you're pretty good, and he's – He's been wanted. He's been recruited by several Division One programs, uh, and now he's adding uh, depth and athleticism to a position where Oklahoma has had in the past depth and athleticism, but not currently. I talked to Jeff Levy yesterday at Media Day and asked him specifically, Dylan Gabriel does have his 2020 COVID season left over, right? He can come back next year if he wants to, right? And he said, yes, he can. He's eligible to do that. And I said, have you talked to Dylan Gabriel about 2020 Four. And he said, no, we have not. We're talking about Dylan Gabriel and I are talking about Tuesday, which was yesterday. Uh, so they're they're focused on, you know, what's next? What's the, the immediate game plan? How do we get better this year? That whole thing. Um, but there's the possibility that Dylan Gabriel, guys, comes back in 2024. Possibility. Yeah. And and I mean, even if even if he is back next year, it, you know, bringing Zerbrug is just another depth piece in that room. Uh, it and whenever he is gone, it, it makes makes you not so thin there. Uh, and like like I think you said previously, quarterbacks transfer all the time. You know, you can only play one. So a lot of these guys transfer. It really it gives you some some insurance, some a safety blanket, if you will, if one of your guys does transfer. And, and that could could uh, could be Gabriel if if he doesn't have the year that he wants, and Jackson Arnold just end up ends up pushing for that job. Not predicting that, but it's not out of the realm of possibility. Yeah, that's true, too. All right, um, OU's always looking for uh, new defensive linemen, depth on defensive linemen. We're going to talk about Stone and Winery and Nigel Smith and those guys here in a minute, but they got a commitment from Kamori Moore out yeah. of uh, Kansas City. Yeah, 
And, you know, this is a guy who, whenever I watched his film, the first thing I noticed was his pad level and his first step quickness. Um, you know, I, I know that in the past, OU's done really, really well with linemen who have good motors and great first step quickness. Um, you know, I know I know he hasn't necessarily done a lot at the NFL level, but Perrion Winfrey, that was his real skill set, too, is that first step was elite. Um, and, you know, Kamori Moore, who's a lot of times playing head up on a center, um, you know, the quickness that he has in that first step is, is really, really impressive for a guy who's listed at 310 pounds. Um, you know, you, you usually don't see that. He's also about six foot one, so he's not as tall, but that helps him get underneath the pad level. And especially whenever he's playing center or playing against college centers who are bigger, you know, I mean, Creed Humphrey's like six, four, six, five, not, not that, you know, so when you're playing against bigger guys like that at six, one, it really helps you get underneath that pad level, which is important for a guy like his position. Um, Another important thing for him is he's actually teammates on the defensive line with Williams and Winery. Um, so, you know, that, that never hurts to get the guy, the, the guy you want's teammate. Um, but, but more in his own right, he's a 2025 recruit, very, very talented. He's the first, first commitment on the, in the trenches for the Sooners in 2025. I think he also had offers from Nebraska, some other Power 5 schools. Uh, so, so this is a really, really good pickup for the Sooners. And um, he seems, seems like he's been in him for a long time. He was at the Brent Venables Elite Camp earlier this summer, and he's been back since. Yeah, he said on Twitter, it was my goal to be the first guy in this class yep. uh, on the defensive line. Yep. to commit and he did just that uh and the fact that uh you know that that they're still that that that, that pipeline to kansas city is still wide open yeah <laughs> uh jamar mosey and those guys uh sending some good players to oklahoma and you know they need, they, need they do they do and i mean I, aside from just lee summit north specifically you know we were talking about ohio being a really strong area for football kansas yeah. city's come up as a as a really strong area they produced a lot of players i isn't pj adabuare from the kansas city area north kansas city yeah yeah so that's definitely an area that you know the sooners really want to keep that pipeline open like you mentioned and of course specifically with jamar mazee and lee summit north yep all right then the sooners got a, a commitment from a wide receiver elijah thomas local kid yeah yeah he's a, this is another kid that uh, was at the brent venables elite camp earlier this summer a 2025 receiver He's about six foot one, six foot two, maybe 180, 185 pounds, really, really fast. When when I saw him, one thing I was impressed about was how quickly his legs turn over for a guy who's six one, six two. Uh, he's he's really, really strong in his lower half. And you, you can tell that by the way he runs. When he takes those steps, he he propels himself forward. And that's gonna only increase as he gets older and especially when he gets on campus. This is a guy who I could see definitely putting on more weight onto his frame when he gets here. In addition to that speed, um, I mean, he plays for Chakota High School, and if you watch his film, he is so fast that they'll just throw him these bubble screens and just let him go. I mean, these tunnel screens, bubble screens, he just kills, kills these, I think they're a 3A school, so he just kills these 3A kids running through defenders. I mean, he he's obviously got the downfield stretching ability because he is so fast, and I mean, that's something that we saw at the Brent Venables Elite Camp. He was beating four-star defensive backs that are a year older than him down the field, and I mean... Um, he really impressed the staff. He came to o, the OU camp with an offer, and then after impressing the staff again, I mean, you know that they um, they were really hard trying to get him. I mean, he had offers from Alabama, from some other big time schools, uh, but you know, he said he grew up an OU fan. So for the Sooners to get him, that's a great get. And we again, something we talked about yesterday is that Oklahoma is really the the OK Preps class of 2025 is really strong. 
Uh, and, and Oklahoma has been, been uh, having strong recruiting classes for the past few years. But uh, when you're able to recruit in state, uh, it, it's big for, for the Sooners, especially in these coming years. Yeah, there's something to be said, there's no doubt, about track speed. Track speed is amazing. You see somebody like Brandon Thompson has elite track speed. But someone like Elijah Thomas, who's fast, you can see when you watch him play, he's fast. But he's got functional speed. So imagine yourself, you're running uh, in your lane and you're running as fast as you can from point A to point B. That's track speed. Football is what's what's my assignment? What's the defensive back doing over here? Where's the safety? I need to I need to uh, to dial it down and get into my break, into and out of my break, or mm-hmm. make a move here, or make a, a, a some kind of step here to get, to finish this route, because my quarterback needs me to come back to the football. Foot, functional football speed is different than track speed. Track speed helps. There's no question. But my, when you when you watch Elijah Thomas play, you're seeing football speed. He's doing things. He's processing the game. He's not only running fast, but he's processing the game at a high level. And, and I would say that that also applies to their other 2025 receiver commit, Grayson Harris. If you watch him play, you're like, wow, this kid is a blazer. He is really fast. Yeah. But when you talk to him, he says he's never run sub-11 in the 100, which, I mean, there's yeah. linebackers that run sub-11 hundreds. So right, I, that's I, what I'm talking about. I, yeah. guarantee, I guarantee you Grayson Harris isn't slower than these linebackers, but track speed and football speed, like you're saying, is different. Yeah, and then uh, OU stayed local, very local this time, and you've been all over this kid's recruitment since you joined the staff since day one, really. Michael Patterson-McDonald, uh, a legacy player at Oklahoma. Um, we're told that his dad played at Oklahoma, walked on at Oklahoma in 2009. Um, tell us about Michael and, and what uh, what a boost this was for the OU recruiting class. Yeah, so so Michael's a great kid. He he's very very personable. He's uh, great at building relationships, and I think that will help him recruit other people into this class. And also, when he's on campus, you know, obviously he'll be a freshman, but he's a guy that you know is not gonna, you know, he's going to take it seriously. He's going to work hard, and that's that's what you want. I mean, obviously, you know, Brent Venables, they're really good about about doing their checks and things like that. So they wouldn't offer a kid who's not like that, but. With, with Michael, it's really, really evident that he cares about the sport. He really wants to be, be great, and he will take it seriously. And I think, I think a lot of that does come from having a father who played college football. He knows what it takes, and he played at OU. So, um, you know, he told me back in May that when OU offered him, it meant a lot to him, that it brought a lot. I think his exact words were, it brought a lot of joy. Um, you know, and so hearing that uh, and knowing that OU, uh, you know, stayed in co- contact with him, we've heard with some recruits or even in previous staffs that, you know, they'll offer a kid and then won't talk to him for months. And that's not what happened with Michael. He said that every day it was a different coach texting him, asking him if he wanted to come, come to the stadium, asking him if he, if he wanted to talk ball, you know, whatever it was. Uh, and it seems like, like the relationship that they built with him really went a long way for him going, just going out of the coach, OU coaching staff, going out of their way to show you that we don't, we're not just throwing you this offer because you're a local kid from Westmore. We, we want you here. We want you in Norman. We want you in a Sooners uniform. And he, he hits. He really, really loves to hit people, whether it's him flying down from the safety spot to nail a receiver coming across the middle or whether it's a running back. He is not afraid to go downhill and deliver a shot. And that is something that the OU defensive backs, uh, OU defensive back coaches love. And I've also talked to him and asked him what he thinks his biggest strength is. 
you know, um, that's something I really find interesting with recruits, you know, how well, uh, you know, what do they think about their own game? What do they think is their biggest attribute? And um, to my, I guess not really surprised, but he said that his strongest attribute was his leadership ability. And that's something that, you know, we've heard, we heard at OU Media Day yesterday, Brent Venables, Ted Roof, all these guys are talking about leaders and wanting to recruit leaders, get leaders on campus. And, you know, Michael said that that was his best, best attribute. So it seems like skill set wise, personality, these OU and Michael are a perfect fit. Um, you know, they beat out Houston, they beat out Missouri. So, uh, you know, Big 12 and, and SEC schools to get him, which is, which is always solid. Um, and uh, the last thing that's really important about him is he's best friends with David Stone. Um, Michael said after his commitment that they met each other when they were eight years old. They played together all the way till they were 12, and they've still been close friends since. So it's always been their dream to play together. He said they even hoped to play together senior year of high school, but that it didn't quite work out. Um, but, you know, they'll have a chance to play together in college. Uh, and he, Michael specifically said he's trying to get David Stone. He's trying to get Caden Durham. He's trying to get Nigel Smith. He's trying to get Williams and Winery. Um, so it sounds like he's really going to be active uh, on the recruiting trail trying to help get more more guys in this class, and specifically one of his best friends, David Stone. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Stone is huge. Stone yeah. is a, a centerpiece of this, uh, and Winery would be as well, the number one or number three overall player in this class, depending on who you follow. Yeah. Um, Sooners under the stars, party at the palace. Yeah. The OU coaching staff once August 1st, um, the, the dead period ended. Uh, they've been super busy. Yeah. Uh, I mean, Michael and Bergen Kaiser, two of the commits that we've mentioned today, were both at Party at the Palace over the weekend. Uh, Kamori Moore was at Sooners Under the Stars earlier in the week. So was Elijah Thomas. Um, so obviously these things are producing really well. There's, we've been told that there, there might be some other commitments coming down the line that came from that. Um, so that's definitely something to keep an eye on. And, uh, you know, I, I did see today that Andy Bass, who was also at um, the Sooners Under the or a Party at the Palace event over the weekend, said that he has an announcement coming tomorrow, which was shortly after he dropped his top three with OU in his top three. Um, now, Andy told me he, that he was committing later this month, so I would imagine that tomorrow maybe not might not be a commitment and maybe a commitment date, but I don't know anything for certain, and, and we'll see what he says. But that's another another player to watch that, that could have had uh, – that, that was at the uh, – party at the palace this weekend he's he told you yesterday august 1st that he's committing later this month which he's got a 29 day window now to commit <laughs> yeah <laughs> so sometime in the next 29 days uh you mentioned bergen kaiser preferred walk-on committed today 2024 he's a defensive end from edmund santa fe kid also plays quarterback tight end and punter very talented athlete yeah and i mean if you know seeing him in person you're like he the first time i saw him in person I didn't even know who he was, but I, he caught my eye because I was like, wow, that kid's big. Uh, you know, you see big kids all the time, but you don't see kids with good weight all the time in high school necessarily. And he has really good weight. Uh, if you look at his weight room numbers, uh, they're, they're really impressive for a kid who hasn't even started his senior year of high school yet. So you love to see that. And, uh, you know, the, the offer list that he has is, is pretty impressive for a kid that OU was able to convince to walk on. I mean, Oklahoma State. Tulsa, UNLV, these are these are programs that, you know, will compete for bowl games. I mean, Oklahoma State, that's a that's a Big 12 team that has competed for the college football playoff as recently as what, two seasons ago? So if you're mm-hmm. able you're able to get a commitment from a guy who had a scholarship offer from Oklahoma State and you're able to convince him to come to Norman, you know, compete in that edge room, 
Uh, you know, OU's, OU's walk-ons are given the chance to compete. That's We've seen that before. And so if you're able to tell a kid that, hey, you have the chance to compete, to prove yourself, and to, to earn a scholarship, then that goes a long way. He, again, was at the party at the Palace. He was at the Brent Venables Elite Camp earlier this summer, too. So he's a guy that, you know, they've, they've built this relationship with, cultivated this relationship all summer. And it seems like they really let him know that uh, he would be valued if he came here. He's not just an end-of-the-roster guy. He's not just a normal walk-on. This is a kid that could could compete for playing time if he if he performs well. And, again, he's teammates with Josh Isosa, who is a three-star offensive tackle that OU is, is really hoping to get in their 2024 class. Josh Isosa is committing on August 14th. So getting a commitment from his teammate definitely helps. There you go. Okay, Randall, um, give us kind of your gut feeling of what's going to happen with David Stone, Williams Winery, and also Nigel Smith over the next 30 days. What are the, what's, uh, what's going to be their kind of path? Uh, do they drop some top fives? Do they drop some? And I think Stone has, has already done some of that, but uh, just in terms of are they going to make news? Are they going to be out there? Uh, are they going to visit? What's, uh, what's your thoughts? Well, Stone is back in Florida. Uh, IMG Academy has their, you know, their summer practices already. I think most high schools across the nation now are, are probably into their high school practices. Um, yeah. But Stone is announcing his commitment on August 26th, I believe is the date, which is um, actually a televised game, IMG Academy versus St. Joseph's Prep. Um, St. Joseph's Prep is a school in Philadelphia, but they're flying down to IMG Academy to play. Um, and I would imagine that at some point during the broadcast that is when he'll commit. I, I can't imagine that he would say that that's his commitment date and not commit on the ESPN broadcast. That would be really surprising. Um, so uh, Sooner fans, uh, definitely tune in to ESPN on that day. He, his top six, Oregon, Oklahoma, uh, Texas A&M, Florida, Miami, and Michigan State. Um, it appears that Michigan State might be the biggest contender stone right now uh and we've seen michigan state take recruits from oklahoma right out of norman recently sure. um so that's definitely not one to write off even if the spartans haven't been the most competitive team recently uh they they could they could still do it um and so i would assume that when the commitment date rolls around that oklahoma is his choice right now um but again recruiting things can change very quickly miami and florida were two of his top six schools and he's in Florida this whole month uh, and the rest of the season for his high school. So those those schools could obviously make a late run. But right now, it seems like he really likes Oklahoma. And especially, especially after getting the commitment from Michael Patterson McDonald, his best friend. I mean, yep. if they talked about playing together for their entire careers, now they'll have the opportunity to. And Stone was already interested in Oklahoma. I mean, it seems it seems like like the dots are lining up. But again... You never know in recruiting; things can change quickly. Uh, and Winery, right. and Winery, has uh, got he's flirting with uh, Missouri. Obviously, you got right. Eli Drinkwitz. They're throwing those uh, those tweets out, but Winery's got a date coming up as well. Yeah, so I've actually heard uh, some conflicting things about that date. Originally, the date was rumored to be August first, so yesterday, and then it was rumored to be pushed back to August seventh. Uh, I saw yesterday now that it's rumored to be pushed back again to August fourteenth. Um, if, if that's true, then, uh, that means that he and Josh Isosa would be announcing their commitments on the same date. So it could be a very good or very bad day for the Sooners, uh, depending on how both of those go. Yeah. 
Um, but again, Enwineri, number one, or one of the top three players in the country consensus. Um, you know, like you said, Missouri is doing everything they can to reel him in. A kid from Missouri, uh, I've heard that Missouri's really pulling out all the NIL stops for this one. Um, and again, you have to expect that OU is going to do the same thing. OU is not small in the NIL fund. Um, and so I would imagine that they'll do do whatever it takes to get him here. Um, like you said, been flirting with Missouri, but I would still assume that whenever he commits, that Oklahoma is the choice right now. And then uh, the Nigel Smith. Nigel Smith, yeah. I would I would imagine that maybe he releases his top five sometime or a top something or another sometime this month. Uh, he told me back in early July that he was planning on committing September eighth. Um, so again, that's Melissa has a game. I can't remember exactly who they play on September eighth, but that's a Friday. They have a game, then I'll be there. Um, and so he's going to commit on that date. All signs are really, really pointing to Oklahoma. When I talked to him, he said he loves the Soul Mission. He said that nowhere else in the country they're doing anything like that. He really loves how it it focuses on the 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 players as more than just players, as people, and focuses on how they can improve their lives outside of football, after football, etc. Um, and not only him, that's gone a long way with a lot of recruits, but that was specifically one thing that he mentioned about OU that he liked. He also said that he loved the relationships he has with the coaching staff here. Um, so, so that's, that's huge for you. I would imagine that Texas A&M might be his, the biggest competitor for, for his services for OU, um, says that he likes it there, loves the environment. I mean, 110,000 fans screaming at you. You can't, can't, uh, it's hard to, hard to beat that. I understand that. But, um, but it seems, it seems like he's trending towards OU. Uh, Michael specifically mentioned that he wanted to get him and, and Winnery on board. So I imagine that, that, uh, Michael Patterson McDonald will be in their ears a lot and, uh, I would, I would also expect, again, it, it seems seems crazy to say this for a third consecutive defensive lineman, but I would expect that, that right now OU gets his services on September 8th. And, I mean, if you can land all three of those, that's one of the top 80 players in the country at, at defensive line, one of the top 15 players in the country as a defensive lineman, and one of the top three players in the country, all three defensive linemen. So two five-stars and a high four-star, that's – pretty unreal defensive line hall, especially when they already have two four-star defensive linemen in the class. If you get all three of those guys and the Jackson Arnold project goes as, as expected and they're able to recruit around Jackson Arnold with that defensive line, I think in the sec, I think they're going to be competing at some point in the next five years for a championship in the sec. And And when you compete for a championship in the sec, you've got a college football playoff berth waiting on you. And, uh, and you gotta get. That's if they get all three. And you gotta not, get some defense. If they do get all three, they've got those three plus PJ Adebowale, who was a five-star edge in yeah. last year's class. I mean, that would yeah. that would be a monster, monster defensive line going forward into the SEC. But that's what you need. I mean, look at Georgia. Georgia had Trevon Walker, who was the number one overall pick in the NFL draft, and Jordan Davis. Jordan Davis was the top 15 pick also, I believe. I mean, these two dudes were monsters in college, and they played together. And they played with a whole other stable of guys who are also in the NFL. Devontae Wyatt, uh, some other guys that I can't remember the names off the top of my head, Nolan Smith. But, I mean, you know, that's the type of group that you have to have to be competing in the SEC. Because guess what? If OU wants to win the SEC, they have to play Georgia. They have to play Alabama, these schools like that. So, just like you said, I agree 100%. Yeah, I saw a post recently. Uh, Georgia had put the the draft class was something like seven 
five stars and five four stars or something like that. That's what you need. Yep. That's what you need in college football these days. You can't you can't expect to compete for a national championship or in the future an SEC championship if you don't have that in your holster. That's a that's a lot to ask, but it's what it's what's what's required. Ask ask Baker Mayfield. They had the best offense, one of the best offenses we've ever seen, and they couldn't beat Georgia. So obviously yeah. it takes more than just that. I mean that that OU offensive team had a slew of NFL players, talented NFL players too. CD Lamb, Mark Andrews, obviously, I mean, I don't need to go through the list, but again, like to your point, the offensive on its own won't get it done. You need that, need that defensive line, need to be strong in the trenches. Yep. Anything else recruiting wise uh, coming down the pike? Oh man. Um, I think I mentioned Josh Isosa commitment on um, the 14th, on August 14th. Uh, That one will be big for OU. They They only have two offensive linemen committed in the 2024 class, one tackle, one interior offensive lineman. Um, so anytime you can add another, a third tackle to the, or a, a third lineman, a second tackle to that class, that's huge. I mean, you know, you, you would, you'd obviously really like to have more than two offensive linemen in the class. Um, and I Sosa, he's an in-state kid. You always want to get the in-state kids, even if more, obviously for their talent alone. And I don't want to diminish Isosa or anything at all. He's a very talented player. And OU obviously would love to have him, but it goes even further than just that player. When you recruit in state, you build good rapport with that coach, coaches across the state, because they know that you have faith in the players in your state in Oklahoma, and that you're not just um, just passing them by like like you know other staffs were accused of doing. Uh, previous staffs were accused of doing here in Oklahoma. Sure. Uh, and then, all right, no, go ahead. The, uh, again, I I almost forgot one last thing on the offensive line front. Daniel Akinkunmi, I probably butchering his last name. I'm very sorry. He's an, NF- he's an NFL Academy offensive lineman from London. And he put OU in his top, I think it was a top 10. So I know that's a long list. But um, I mean, if you look at the other schools in his top 10, they don't produce offensive linemen like OU does. This is a kid who says that he play he can play all five positions on the offensive line, which is huge. I mean, you love swing guys like that. And, uh, you know, Bill Biedenboe, uh seems like he's built a pretty good relationship with, with this kid. Um, it would certainly be intriguing. I don't think OU's ever had a recruit come over from Europe. Um, but it seem, seems like OU's in a really good spot to land him, too. So that, that could be another offensive lineman to, uh, to watch out for. Randall, you're going to need to update your uh, your passport. <laughs> yeah, go, go get some uh, NFL Academy, some London games in. And maybe you'll end up in France, too. Who knows? <laughs> <laughs> you, you you never know. You never know. You so never most, know. most people won't get that joke. <laughs> right. No, that's okay. Uh, Randall had an opportunity to go to France this year to watch some NF, uh, to watch some uh, college football campers, high school campers going to college football. And he didn't have his passport and he wasn't able to get it before the date. But uh, what an opportunity that would have been. That's going to come up again next year. So get your passport, get the five-year yeah. version of it version i don't know what it Definitely, is but i definitely need to do that Send yourself a couple hundred bucks and get that passport get it done get it lined up you're gonna enjoy it all sooners international that's it all sooners global yeah <laughs> good stuff man thanks yeah absolutely thanks john and thank you guys for listening as always we'll be back next week on the all sooners podcast you can catch that one and all of our shows on apple Podcasts, google Podcasts, spotify Podbean, iHeart, or anywhere you listen to your podcast, if you have an Amazon-enabled device.
device, just say, Alexa, play for me that All Sooners podcast. Uh, she'll hook you up. It's also posted on our website, allsooners.com. Just click on the player and listen on your phone, your tablet, or your computer. And, of course, all my shows are posted, as always, on my YouTube channel, John Hoover Media, as well as all those interviews we got from Media Day yesterday. Check those out. For Ryan Chapman, for Randall Sweet, I am John Hoover. We'll see you guys soon.